Good morning. So I'm really looking forward to this morning. I'm not looking forward to being ribbed by Aaron again about Leeds. Ever since I stood up here last time I spoke, and Leeds have won seven and Nottingham Forest is hot on our tails. Oh. So I'm continuing the series today of how we discover Jesus in the Bible. And I want to explore particularly the story of creation and what are called the covenants. So our aim is that we see Jesus whenever we read the Bible, and I'm going to help us just through that. I'm going to do three things today. I'm going to, first of all, help us with a structure to, over, to understand the big picture story of the Bible, how it, how it starts, where it moves to, and where it goes, and how Jesus might fit in with that. We're then going to have a look at a couple of passages. Uh, Genesis is one of those, where we're going to look at Jesus in creation, and then we're not going to have time to look at all the covenants, but we will summarize those and understand by the end of it how Jesus fits in with those covenants. Let's try and understand the big picture of the Bible. So most modern Western literature has what's called a linear structure, a straight line structure, where you might be taught in school that a story should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And most Western modern literature takes that form where the end is most important, where you start a story, you progress the story through the middle point, and it's not until the end of a story that you really understand what has gone on before. The Bible takes a different sort of structure. First of all, the Bible is um, its not a book, it's a library of 66 books, and it isn't in strict chronological story order. So it makes it quite difficult to see any sort of structure that is going on. But there is a big picture story of the Bible that I want to show us. If we add some shape, some color, and some highlights to this in a moment, we will see. But let me explain the, the progress of the story throughout the Bible. First of all, we have creation where God creates a good world, where people enjoy his presence, safety, security, and significance. Then we mess up, and we've called that desecration. We spoilt what God had made and was very good. Sin enters the world, relationship with God is spoilt, and it can't be regained by law and works, and we'll explore some of this in other weeks as others come to teach. Then we have the incarnation. That is when Jesus who is God, becomes man and lives on the earth. And the Gospels particularly describe Jesus, the creator, entering creation to save it, mend it through his death. Then we are living as new creations. People are made holy in Christ. That's you, that's me, that's wonderful, isn't it? The relationship with God is restored through grace and faith. And I'm looking forward to some recreation or some recreation. I'm looking forward to a day when everything will be made new. My spirit has been made new, but my body hasn't yet. And I'm feeling that now I'm in my 50s, more than ever. But there will be a day when my body will be made new. Because Jesus has declared, I will make all things new. God makes all things new. He creates a perfect heaven and earth. And you think, well, is that a straight line? It appears a straight line, but the Bible actually presents it in a different way. Did you see that? I hope you were watching. I'm going to go back. That's your straight line, but that's not how the Bible story goes. 
The Bible story goes like this. And there is, a sim- there is a symmetry about it. There is a sense of going away and coming home. That God creates something that is good. And the symmetry of that is he will recreate something that is perfect. Desecration, we spoilt the relationship with God. But the new creation is the symmetry of that, that in Christ, the relationship is restored. How? The how is the most important bit through Jesus. And when, the, when we add this template to the Bible, we see the big picture for it, what it really is, that Jesus is central. His incarnation is right there at the center. That in Christ, the world is saved and it is mended. If we overlay that onto the Bible, more or less, and this isn't an exact science, I'm saying the Old Testament deals with uh, creation and the desecration, and then we have Jesus entering the story, his incarnation, and then we are living as new creations, and we will live in his recreated world. And what it shows us is this, that Jesus is central and Jesus is high, He is the one who makes sense of everything. As we read the Old Testament, the Old Testament points towards Jesus. And as we read the New Testament, we see that everything flows from the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So that's what I want us to keep in mind as we go through these weeks, is this big picture story of the Bible. I will make these available on the the podcast site as well. So there is this sense of homecoming. There is this way we go away from God and then God brings us back to himself and it is all made possible by the person of Jesus. That's why we want to explore where we see Jesus in the Old Testament. Somebody once said, the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. So speaking of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the new is in the old concealed. And I'm hoping to take the lid off some of that today. And then the old is in the new revealed. So we see in the New Testament how it's led up to Jesus coming. Is that helpful? Good. I found it helpful because it just, I don't know, I love the symmetry of it. It's just really pleasing, isn't it? And I think there is actually something more than it just pleases Richard's sense of order. I think there is something innately, innately, pleasing about it in that we are designed to come home. We've gone away and we're designed to come home, back to the Father, back to the place where he had us when he created us in union with him in the first place. Okay, so we're going to look at Jesus in creation. And we're going to look at three things. Jesus is the creator of the universe. Jesus is a conqueror of Satan. And Jesus is the coverer of sin. Right, I'm gonna, I've got some props coming. Okay, I just need to wind this one up. Right, what we got here? What colour can you see? White. We'll keep it running. I have to get in front of a cut of lights. So one of the great doctrines of the Christian faith is that God is one... And God is three. 
God is made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is one. And God is three. God is three. And God is one. Oh, I feel like leaving it there now. <laughs> that was good. That was good. But, <laughs> yeah, I've got to explain that. Don't ask me to explain it. It's, well, there it is. It's explained. What more do I need? You could be three and one and one in three at the same time. And I haven't got time to give other analogies. I could if you want to come and see me later. But we see Jesus as being active in creation. He is the creator of the universe. Genesis 1 Verse 1 and verse 26 say, In the beginning God created, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, so we got the Spirit of God. Then listen to this carefully. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Hold on, there's a conversation going on there. Because God says, let us make mankind. God didn't say, I will make mankind in my image. He says to somebody else, let us make mankind in our image. And I want to suggest to you that this was a conversation in the heavenly realms between the Father and the Son because the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters or literally brooding over waters in order to incubate life. And God the Father and God the Son had this discussion. Let us make man in our image. So Jesus is there as a creator of the universe. Now, it's not very obvious from that. You have to look carefully, but some of the New Testament writers make it really obvious for us. So John, when he starts his gospel, says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John identifies Jesus as the word of God who was with God and was God in the beginning. So Jesus is our creator. Wow. I thought God the Father was my creator. Yes, he is as well. Because the doctrine is that they all three do everything together. They are co-eternal. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have always existed and will always exist. They are co-equal. They give authority and submission to one another. And they go co-executors. They carry out things together. In every activity within the Bible, you will see all three persons of the Godhead together. The writer to the Hebrews puts it this way. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers at many times and in many various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, through whom he made the universe. So Jesus is our creator, first of all. He is there right in creation. Secondly, he is the conqueror of sin. So the story of Adam and Eve, I'm going to assume that most of us know, but I will headline it, is God created a good earth in which to live. The place was called Eden. Adam and Eve were there to, to tend to the garden, to look after it, to make it flourish, to make it multiply and to bring life themselves. And they were given this one instruction. You can do anything apart from eat of one tree that is called the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else you can do. And God did that to enable mankind to have free will and choice. Without that, we would have been puppets, but we have choice. 
And then in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see this mysterious creature called the snake come along. And we learn from Scripture later on that is actually Satan or the devil in this peculiar form. And he tempts Adam and Eve. He puts doubt in Eve's mind, first of all, saying, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? Well, no, he didn't because you've twisted what he said. But Eve sort of gets sucked in and said, no, no, no. We, we can eat from every tree apart from that one because we'll die if we do. No, you won't die. And it says in the story that Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good, it was pleasing, and it gets into her head, actually, we might get something from this that would be to our benefit. And sadly, at that moment, she takes of the fruit of the tree, which she shouldn't have done, and she gives some to Adam as well. And that's when it all starts to fall apart. There is desecration. They spoil relationships with one another. There's a blame game starts going on. Well, the devil told me to do it. Well, and then Adam blames Eve for giving him the fruit, and it's just a mess. And desecration comes in. And then in Genesis 3, there's a series of poems where God addresses the man and the woman, but he also addresses this being that is called the snake or the serpent. And he says to the serpent, the snake, Satan, these words, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity, warfare, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. There is a prophecy contained within those verses, where God sees that the offspring of Eve, not the immediate offspring, Cain and Abel, the offspring further generations down the line, Jesus, would have this confrontation with Satan where Jesus would stamp on the serpent's head and crush it, but would be dealt a fatal blow himself, a strike on the heel, which is toxic. And there is a prophecy there that says that Jesus will conquer you, but Jesus will be crucified or killed in doing so, but then raised to life. And there's a wonderful illustration that takes a, a sort of poetic view of this, and it's up there for us to see. And that is called, it's a painting called Mary Consoles Eve. And if you look at it, it illustrates this point really well, because there's Eve in the garden. She's got a, a snake wrapped around her leg. She's got the apple in her hand, and she's looking absolutely forlorn, saying, what on earth have I done? I've made a real mess of this. We've screwed up. We've desecrated the good things God gave us. And there is Mary with her hand on Eve's shoulder saying, it's okay, look who I'm carrying. And both of them are looking towards Mary's belly in which she carries the Son of God, Jesus, who would crush Satan's head and be the conqueror of Satan. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is creator of the universe. Jesus is the conqueror of Satan. Now, as a result of the sin and, and the choices man made in the garden, it become, uh, Adam and Eve become aware that they are now in the place that they didn't want to be. They feel vulnerable. And it says towards the end of chapter 3 that they, their eyes were opened and they were naked and they were afraid. Suddenly, they realized what they'd done. And it says there that they made coverings for themselves. Welcome, Adam. They made coverings for themselves. But as you can see, it was a fig leaf. 
and fig leaves don't last very long and they don't cover you up very adequately. And it's really a picture of how we try and cover for the sin, the shame, the guilt we feel in our lives. We make coverings for ourselves. Now, I've, I've got a vote here we can have. I've got a couple more. Do we convert this to Eve? Or do we make Adam more modest? <laughs> what we're going to do is, to be true to Scripture, because it says that they sewed fig leaves together, Adam is going to have... Uh, some Y-fronts made of fig leaves and not some Speedos. So Adam and Eve tried to make a covering for themselves because desecration had come in. Relationships had fallen apart. They were naked, they were afraid, they were ashamed. And it says that in chapter 3, that they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. And then God comes back on the scene and they run and they hide and they actually hide in the trees because they realize that isn't good enough to cover them. And God says this, where are you? Now, that isn't a question God needs to ask for himself because he is an all-knowing and an all-seeing God. That was for our benefit to make us realize that actually we're in a mess. And when he says, Adam, where are you? Adam replies, well, we were naked and we were ashamed and we hid from you because of this sin that we have committed. And then an amazing thing happens towards the end of chapter 3. And I'm going to ask Sarah's help here. Which is, that it says that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And he clothed them. That's a wonderful picture. What it shows us is that the the way we try and deal with sin in our own strength is totally inadequate. It doesn't last. It leaves us exposed. It leaves us feeling guilty and ashamed. But here we have God making something out of skin. And that's an important part because what this is foreshadowing is the sacrificial system in the Old Testament where the writer to the Hebrews reminds us of this. Without the shedding of blood... There can be no forgiveness of sins. So this jacket, this covering that God has made is made of animal skin. So logically, an animal has had to die to make that. And that speaks of this sacrificial system that we see developed through the Old Testament and others will cover that in different weeks where bulls and goats and sheep were taken. And the writer to Hebrews reminds us that they can never take away sins of people for good. That's why the priest performs the same duty year in, year out. But it also points to us of the death once and for all of God's own son, Jesus, who would be provided for us on the cross to take our sin. And the, the word we use theologically is atonement. Atonement means covering. And this is what it means, that our sin is covered. So we see Jesus in creation and the covenant, in creation as the creator of the universe we see him as a conqueror of Satan, and we see him covering our sin. Fab, let's move on and have a, a look at covenants. Now, this is a huge topic, and uh, I'm not going to look at what each individual covenant means, but just pull out some principles and some common factors that we see. 
So developing the story from the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve messed up. God provided them with a, a sort of covering, but it, it went downhill from there. They had two sons, Cain and Abel, who in, in one generation we see jealousy, we see murder, we see greed, and it got worse and worse, generation after generation after generation, until the time of Noah, when God said, look, what I said I made was good, and it's not good anymore. And he decides that he's going to reboot mankind. That he, he looks upon the earth and sees there are only eight righteous people. Noah, his wife, three sons, three daughter-in-laws. And you know the story of it. He commands them to build an ark, to, to take shelter in that ark, and they would be saved. That happens. So mankind is rebooted. It's reduced from hundreds and thousands back to eight people to restart this whole thing again. And then as those uh, nations and generations develop, we hear the story of Abraham. And Abraham is a man with whom God made a covenant. And a covenant is literally a promise and a commitment to one another. And the, the covenants that were made were made to Noah, to Abraham, to Israel, and to David. And they have some things in common. First thing is that God is always taking the initiative. God never gives up on us. Even when things go really badly wrong, God is always reaching out to find a new way to reach us. He is the one who takes the initiative, takes the first step. You know, if, I'd have, if I was God and I was treated like God was treated by some of those characters in the Old Testament, I'd probably turn my back and walk away. I'm not God, thank God. <laughs> You're not God, thank God. But God, in his infinite love, grace, and patience, reaches out to mankind and says, let's try again. This is the basis on which we try again. I will make some promises to you if you can live in union with me. And the covenants are initiated by God. They're inclusive. That Eventually, all mankind would be included within those covenants that God makes through individuals. And they are a new basis for relationship. So with Noah, actually, this covenant is slightly different to the others. He makes a covenant not only with Noah as a person, but with the earth and with the animals. And that's why I think it's desperately important we look after this earth. Because God has created it. God has given us responsibility to take care for it, not to extort its resources. He makes a covenant with Abraham where he leads Abraham out and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Look at the stars above. Can you count them? No. Look at the sand. Can you count that? No. That's how many descendants you will have. And he makes this covenant and his promise with Abraham. And he takes another piece of meat in that covenant um, ceremony where he takes the meat, he splits it in two and walks between it. And in the walk in between it, there is this promise that is made that God would bless Abraham as a great nation. His descendants would flourish and God would always be with him. But guess what? Abraham messes it up as well. And I'm not criticizing because you and I would have done the same. <laughs> we're no better, we're no worse. So God then turns to a nation through the person of Moses and makes a covenant agreement with them generally through the Ten Commandments, which we know, and which Jesus summarized as two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the essence of the Ten Commandments. 
And God promises to Israel that they would have a land to go and live in, that they would have a special relationship with him, that he would, they would be the apple of his eye, they would be his treasured possession, that they would defeat their enemies. And guess what? No sooner is it started than they turn away from God. They, they, why, even while Moses is getting this covenant, the people are making an idol of a golden calf to worship because they couldn't wait. They tried to take things into their own hands. Finally, God makes a covenant with King David, saying that eventually there will come another person in your line, in your house of David, in your family, who will save the earth. But all of these covenants have some things in common, which we've got there in green, that the person with whom the covenant was made would earn a great name. The person with whom the covenant was made would conquer enemies and would enjoy a special relationship with God. And that the covenant, the blessing, the promise would be perpetuated through offspring. And eventually there would come global blessing because it was all inclusive to everyone. And this was the human side of the covenant. Keep God's laws and commands. And you have all that. Keep God's laws and commands and this is what will happen. And every single time the covenant was made, the covenant was broken. This desecration came again. So we've had this creation, we've had this desecration, and it's sort of pointing to what was next on that? We got it there. Incarnation. This is all pointing to the fact that it hasn't been made good yet. We, we, we've broken our relationship with God. We've gone astray. So there's those four covenants, um, and there was signs. So with Noah, there's a rainbow in the sky. With Abraham, he, he talked about the um, can you take that one down? You've revealed. You've done the big reveal beforehand. Oh, you've not got that one. Okay, just leave it where it is. Cause mine's got a transition on, which I don't think is working. Never mind. No, put it up. Put it up. Go on. So what we see there is all of those covenants failed, but the prophets in the Old Testament said, it's okay because a day is coming Jeremiah 31, 31 in the blue arrow. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And the writer to Hebrews said, if there was nothing wrong with the old covenant, we wouldn't need a new covenant, but we have got a new covenant. And the mediator of that new covenant is Jesus Christ. So this, this attempt and failure of relationship with God through covenants was all pointing towards a better way to have a relationship, the only way to have a relationship which is through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is what it looks like. So those four covenants, remember, were Noah, Abraham, Israel, and David. The New Testament writer Peter likens the work of Jesus in his death and his resurrection to the ark through which Noah was saved. So he says, in the same way that people were saved in an ark from the floodwaters, you are saved in your soul through baptism in Christ, that's going into the water, and then being raised to life. And he says, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is like a safe ark in which to live. That's a wonderful concept. Paul, when he writes to the Galatian church, really drives home the point that the the, the promise that was made to Abraham was to Abraham's seed. And he labors the point in Galatians chapter 3 by saying, look, when it said 
But the promise is made to Abraham's seed. That is seed singular and not seed plural. And you think, well, hold on, I thought I was. And you say, no, Abraham's seed is Jesus. So Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. It's Jesus who is the seed of Abraham. With the covenant that was made to Israel, none of them were able to keep the law fully apart from Jesus, because God sent Jesus in the person of the humanity, in humanity. God became man and lived a sinless life. 1 Peter chapter 2, 22 says, No deceit was found in him, and no sin was seen in him. He is the perfect Israelite, a remnant of one. This might be explored in other weeks. So the story of Israel was that they kept going away from God and a smaller and smaller number kept faithful and then that faithful few strayed as well. But Jesus came as the faithful servant, the new Israel, the remnant of one. And he is also described in Luke chapter 2 as being of the line of David. So do you see then that it's Jesus who fulfills all those Old Testament covenants? And he's also described as the last Adam. This is a really interesting concept because the first Adam sinned. And he sinned as our federal head, which meant that we would have done the same and that every person, every descendant of Adam, of which we are, carried that same propensity to sin. But we sinned because Adam sinned, we sinned. We're not blaming Adam, we're taking it on ourselves, but it's in us, it's human nature. We're greedy, we're selfish. We go our own way. That was the first Adam. 1 Corinthians 15 describes Jesus as the, not the second Adam, but the last Adam. Because there are only two. There is a first and there is a last. The first one, the effect of his sin was reversed by the last one. This is beautiful. Jesus is the last Adam. The writer to the Corinthians said, the first Adam was a human being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. He says Jesus Christ is that last Adam. When, he, when they write to the Roman church, they said, if death reigned through the one man, Adam, how much more will life reign and righteousness come to the many through the last Adam, the man, Jesus Christ? Jesus is the head of a brand new creation of which we are part. Because he has fulfilled all of those covenant conditions, God has made a covenant with him. This is really key. God, in, Jesus kept God's laws and commands. You remember that was the only thing that we were required to do and we found we couldn't? Jesus did it. And he did it perfectly. And because of that, he has earned a great name. His name has been high and exalted. The writer to Philippians says that Christ was humbled, that he might be exalted and given the name above every name, but at his name every knee would bow. He has conquered enemies. He has conquered Satan. He has crushed him underneath his feet with the resurrection from the dead. Jesus, the son, enjoys a special relationship with God. This is Jesus, my son. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. Welcome home. Your job is complete, the father says to his son. Jesus perpetuates his name through his offspring. That's us. You are a Christ-like one, a Christian 
a Christian. We are of the race of Jesus Christ. We are a new creation in him. And this is wonderful. It is us and Christ working together that will mediate global blessing. God said to Abraham, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. His offspring was Jesus, because it was seed. And we have come by faith to join with Jesus in his inheritance and his work. The covenant is made between God the Father and God the Son. This is really key. It's not actually made between God and you. It's made between God the Father and God the Son. Because it has been mediated by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why when we take communion, we, we repeat the words of Jesus where he sat with his disciples at the Last Supper and said, this is the blood of a new covenant. This is made in my blood. This is the drink by which you can remember me. And because it is a covenant made between father and son who had a perfect life, that covenant can never be broken. And there's a wonderful scripture. I just hope I can find it. I'm having trouble with his mouse here. I can't remember where it is. It says something like this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. That's great news. So Jesus' covenant with the Father is secure. He cannot disown himself. He cannot go back on his covenant, but says... You have all these things in Christ. Christ has a great name. He has conquered his enemies. Christ will be a blessing to all. And we are included in that covenant relationship by faith. That's the only thing that includes us. That means when we mess up, the covenant still exists between God the Father and God the Son. And we come back in repentance and say, I want part of that again. I want to come back. I've been away. Thank you that that covenant remains. It hasn't been broken because it is forever sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's just close. I'm going to ask Aaron to draw out a response from us in a minute. But let's just picture where we've been. We've looked at creation. We've looked at how we messed up. There was desecration. But Jesus was right there at the start in the creation story as our creator, as the conqueror of Satan, as the coverer of sin. And through the covenants, we see these promises that are made to people that got broken time and time and time again. But all of those were pointing towards a moment in time where God would send his own son, Jesus Christ. The incarnation of God become flesh to live a perfect life, to die for us, to be raised again. And in so doing, fulfill all of the obligations that God had tried to make with mankind through his representatives, through Noah, through Moses, through Israel, through David, and we failed him constantly. But in Christ, they have been fulfilled. In Christ, we can then have new life. We have new life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation because he takes part in the new covenant. And there will be a day when we will be totally recreated and everything made perfect.